Hello, my fellow Hepnuts. Are you ready for the Cannabis Bonanza? Welcome to, <laughs> Welcome to the New Hemp Time Show, recorded at Gotham Studio, the sweetest smelling podcast studio in the world. Please prepare for a takeoff by placing your cannabis products in your seat or in your shirt pocket. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters. Yes, thank you. Joining us. Well, for safety. Uh, so, oh, joi- okay. joining us by phone, as you can tell, is the illustrious, the hemp animal, Greer Barnes. Say hello. Hey, y'all. What's good? Also joining us remotely from the vineyard is Randy Cameron Jr. Hey, hey, the farmer, and I'm not growing grapes. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we have a very special guest here today joining us live in the studio is Zoe Sigmund. She yeah. is the program director for Project CBD and she does research, but not in the way a scientist thinks of research, but she does a lot of research, a bit of a polymath when it comes to studies and subjects of cannabis, gave recent expert um commentary at the FDA hearing in D.C. Welcome, Zoe. Oh, man, Jayhan, you make me sound so good. We're so glad to finally have you here. When you were on the last time on the call, it was wonderful. And as you can hear, we're also joined by our licensed clinical social worker, Jan Roberts, who is here with the check-in to make sure we are mentally fit and living well for the podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, this is that time in the show where I have to do my little therapy magic and just wanted to kind of check in, especially we're going to start with you guys first since you're so far away and I can't read body language and facial expressions and all that good stuff. So I want to start with you, Randy. How are you doing today and what's been going on in your world? Outstanding, my team. (laughs) Had a great meeting today with the folks that uh, train the Manjagon uh, worker owner model, and they are helping Brooklyn Sprout get up to speed. And um, that was great. I brought up Fannie Lou Hamer as my hero. And uh, if you guys do look up Fannie Lou Hamer, she is responsible for unionizing the uh, sharecroppers out of the South and turning them into a civil rights force to be reckoned with. So giving a shout out to one of my heroes and glad to be with my family. Oh, we're glad to have you here. And I have a question. So for Brooklyn Sprouts, is it like mm-hmm. you guys have created this model where it's a worker owned model that you're shooting for? Or? That's right. That's right. That's so we're so following amazing. the uh, Monjagon model um, out of Monjagon, Spain, um, the Basque region of Spain in which um, a famous furniture company restructured their business organization by making all of the employees owners as employee, as opposed to employees, which bought, which uh, built up wealth. And um, it's a model that's being pushed around the world. CUNY law is helping to push it. And uh, Brooklyn Sprout is formed in that way. So when we do build up our ranks, they'll be coming on board with Greer and I and you guys as owners like we are. Oh, wow. Wow, fantastic. And, and Brooklyn Sprout, Sprout sounds really interesting. Could you tell us just a little bit about what that project is? Certainly. So 
Grant and I started the company 12 years ago. It's a hydroponic plant production company that focuses on produce production and controlled atmosphere buildings such as greenhouses, warehouses. Um, And we also have a medical cannabis side in which we're seeking our cannabis cultivation license and partnering with some really interesting folks in the city, in the healthcare sector, which um, all goes well, will allow us to have a very large distribution um, chain through the healthcare sector and patients that are in need. That's that's our goal. Fantastic. Wonderful. Well, thank you. So it sounds like you're having a great vacation. Have a uh, fun time on the vineyard or at the vineyard. Thank you, Doc. And uh, anyway, so let's check in with Greer. So Greer, how are you doing today? Um, I'm fine. All right, man of little words. So, Jayhan, let's go straight to you, buddy. So, uh, how are you doing today? You and I haven't caught up recently. I mean, it's it's been crazy. Yeah, it's been really busy. I got some uh, deadlines coming up for articles and drafts and trying to uh, wrangle um, some IP. Uh, just had a great meeting with uh, Martin Lee and Zoe Sigmund from Project CBD talking about articles we're going to write, potential future research projects. There's so much going on. I barely have time to get ready before I leave for China for the hemp conference in the Northwest China. province. I know. I wow. hear you're going to the big I thought both of you were going to China. Okay, I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, you're going. <laughs> yeah, we're both speaking at this hemp supposedly one of the biggest hemp conferences ever in China. So. They're not kidding about big when they talk I about big saw, in China. I just saw something. <laughs> yeah. I just saw something where China was blaming America and Canada for uh, the illegal dr- uh, drug of cannabis in oh, the country. Well, they were really? America and Canada's lax laws on it, like <laughs> the, the legalizing of it. Well, I have to tell you, we know to be very careful and not to do anything foolish because neither one of us wants to be in a prison camp. Yeah. <laughs> well, Please. Because <laughs> we won't be able to bail you out of a prison in China. No, and let me and also say this. And my martial laws ain't that good. <laughs> well, I will tell you also that um, I will just say it here because I won't be able to say this, but free to bet. So yeah. uh, I won't be able to say that when I'm Amen. in China, but free to bet. Whisper it. Free to bet. <laughs> and and Greer. There it is. A half and a tea on your shirt. No, I know. <laughs> And Greer, you know, that's not an unfounded criticism from the Chinese, you know, considering it was us, uh, you know, white folk who, uh, you know, like my ancestors probably who started them opium wars and were importing opium and (laughs) 200,000 kilos a year in the 1800s. So, you know, they've been suspicious ever since that, uh, you know, we got access to Shanghai, I think. Yeah. So I hate to do this. big Bokto Rebellion. Yeah. So I hate to do this, but I want to be kind of conscientious of time because we know that we've got a tight schedule today. So Zoe, welcome to our show. But I want to kind of do a check in on you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm in New York. It's amazing. I'm from Portland. So I'm from Chicago originally, but I live in Portland now. So it's nice to be back in a metropolis and get a lot of work done. Well, we're just so excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. So that's it. I guess and, we're all... Well, Jan, you oh. do such a good job wow. of making sure we're doing well and asking about our days and lives. How are you doing? 
I am. We got to hear it. (laughs) I'm great. I had the coolest experience this weekend and I'm just going to have to share it here. And I'm sure Jayhan's tired of hearing me talk about it, but I actually introduced my 78 year old uh, mother who is a conservative, who's very religious, who is from the deep South to cannabis. And she had surgery on Monday and was in such physical pain that she was all worried about taking opioids and she had never tried cannabis in her life. She, I, I helped her. I kind of guided her and gave her some instructions and such. And it was remarkable what everyone, we all saw it and my sisters saw it and they couldn't believe it. So a family where they've shunned cannabis so much in the past it, it was actually a beautiful thing. My cousin and I, you know, I'm out of the closet with my um, uh, consumption and my cousin came out of the closet talking about it. She helped her mother who just had surgery. So it was really kind of cool to see this change, this acceptance and understanding how medicinally cannabis can can work therapeutically. And um, it, it was just a fantastic week with my family. And I just feel so grateful that you know, I have this platform to educate people. So it was wonderful. I know it was very transformative, I have to say. And to have, you know, I used to get in trouble in high school smoking cannabis. And now to have them, Uh, like she's telling all of her friends, like I tried cannabis and it was so helpful. And and it was the cutest little thing ever. And um, she's doing well. Hey, Jen. Yeah. Greer. How did she take it? A vaporizer. Yeah. And the first time Greer, it was the funniest thing. She took a big toke. Like you would have thought that she was a champion and because she used serious? to, do, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I was laughing so Where'd hard. Where'd that come from? I don't know. Someone I, who's I, never. <laughs> I know. Her inhaler, you, her asthma. Mom, her might, old mom asthma. might have some reggae collections, you know, downstairs or something. <laughs> <laughs> she is Dr. Weed Lady's mom. So, you know, yeah, but anyway, yeah. it, it was, awesome. it was so cute. And then we have her tinctures now that she is starting to take. So we've gotten away. Uh, we were able to um, take care of some business and she has some THC, high THC, low CBD tinctures as well as one-to-one. So once she's past a certain phase, she's going to try to use maintenance of one-to-one to help with inflammation and pain. So kind of cool shit. Good for her. <laughs> nice. So thanks so for letting me too. Yeah, Greer. What, what, did, I, what did she... Elaborate on how she felt after she took that. Yeah. Well, yeah, she actually, it was fantastic because she kept saying, and I'm not lying because I think I I texted it or it just stuck with me. She was like, I am functioning 75% better. And I would, I would ask her like throughout the day what her pain levels were because I was kind of checking it versus her dosing. To kind of see like uh-huh. when she, when would be more helpful for her. Now, and when you when you say dosing, you mean what? One pull, one hit. She pulls, took. It depended. Um, primarily, it was two hits, so she was you know she uh-huh. wasn't taking a lot, and then she would be fine for a few hours. But at some point, the pain was so bad she was having to take four hits. But then the relief was so immediate she couldn't get over that. She couldn't get over Mm. that she was taking it and it was like she was able to function. And like she said, she was functioning 75% better. And as I'm educating her and talking about what it's doing to her, she was even able 
because she wasn't taking her arthritis medication before the surgery. She was actually able to move her limbs more, her fingers, her feet. She couldn't get over how much she could walk better, too. After, after, yep, after vaporizing. And then wow, I asked wow. her, because, you know, I'm always curious about the mood piece. And I said, well, mom, how do you feel? Like, what's your mood like? And she's like, I just feel so much better. I can't believe it. And so it was a huge, <laughs> as much as she's heard about what we're doing here and why we're doing it, mm-hmm. she learned about it firsthand. And you could just hear her. I asked her, we are going to have her on the podcast. I asked her if she would be on the podcast um, because <clears> I felt <throat> like she really would. She's a testament to senior citizens, you know, who don't want to take yeah. a lot of medication, who really, you know, they're looking at this as a therapeutic or a medication that instead of something yeah. that, you know, could potentially harm their body, could help their body. And her it's response it, like her whole breaking well, down wall it is changing. Well, you know what? It, absolutely. And Greer, this was what was so fantastic to me was she kept saying this like, oh, my God, they knew that it was like this. The government lied to us. <laughs> My mom never talks like that, <laughs> you know. But she—it oh, yeah. was—it was such <laughs> yeah. an eye-opening experience for her of why has this been criminalized, mm-hmm. and that she has mm-hmm. been sold a wrong bill of goods. She was telling her other yep. friends who were like eighty about it. It was the cutest thing ever, and for me, it was kind of healing because there's been, um, you know, just a really great opportunity to connect with my family. And and for them to get to know me and what I do and appreciate the work that we're doing here. So anyway, amen. Amen. I miss you guys. Wish you were here. (laughs) Awesome. Well, those are some powerful words, and that brings us to our word of the day. And our word of the day is Chiba. Chiba. C H E E B A. Greer, Randy, are you guys familiar with Chiba? Chiba Chiba, y'all. Shoot. Are you I know kidding? Brother Sonny. That's right. Uh, <laughs> One of my favorite martial artists. There you go. Chiba was a, 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 a term that we used coming out of the 70s into the 80s. And um, yeah. it was actually Dang. probably the first hip hop um, in, you know, uh, that the hip hop community. Wouldn't you say, G? Chiba Chiba? Yeah, absolutely. That was the slang yep. word for it. Yep. You know, yep. and you would say it easy. You'd speak it easy. Yo, with that Chiba. Yep. <laughs> That's right. So depending on your geography and population, Chiba, Chiba was a, typically yeah. a, uh, you know, a street name for marijuana. And there is also a, a, a very popular product in Colorado called Chiba Chews, um, you know, infused uh-huh. chocolate taffy. Um, but not to be confused with the Chiba Hut, which does not sell any marijuana products, but is a sandwich store. I'm sure they get <laughs> a lot of confusion over there. But yes. Well, they're going to have to change their name. <laughs> yeah, it should have been Chibata Hut. What do you mean, Chiba Hut? <laughs> 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 about that time it's getting late it's time for new hemp times to regulate bringing us to (laughs) Uh our time to regulate segment so with all of our elected officials and politicians taking a break for the summer i think it's time that we review their work because some of them are going on vacation and i think a lot of them should be going to summer school uh so 
you know, what do we need more of? What do we need less of when it comes to cannabis laws, regulations, assistance from the government? What's working? What's not working? Where should we focus our limited resources? And there's been no shortage of unintended consequences or sometimes intentional consequences of cannabis policy. Um, There's lots of places where we could start, but the top of my mind is uh, research, facilitating cannabis research. So, so, you know, Zoe, you came all the way out here from uh, California. Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. (laughs) There you go. Isn't it all California, (laughs) though? Yeah, from uh, Mexico to Canada. It's California. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) What are your thoughts on... on... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I get that confused because you work for Project CBD, but which is based in California, but you get to live the good life in Portland. It's true. It's much nicer. Nice. (laughs) So uh, what do you think about uh, how are regulators doing with facilitating research in this country? Poorly. Mm -hmm. Very poorly. Very poorly. Yeah. Uh, You know, NIDA, well, NIDA keeps increasing the amount of funding that it's putting towards cannabis research. um, But unfortunately, it's mostly towards how cannabis is bad and addictive. Pathological use. Woo! Uh, Colorado has done some cool things. They're earmarking a little bit of money from their taxes of the sales of cannabis towards research. Um, I know Sue Sicily's PTSD trial was partially funded by that money. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, I think it was like $10 million, which in the world of research is not a huge amount of money, which is hilarious. Um, but yeah, not not well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that there's been some studies like the THC and CBD labeling studies, and those were actually in a very clear gray area. Researchers kind of had to... Uh, <laughs> Some people would say violate federal law to do that studies. There was one study published in Planta Medica, this journal where researchers actually had people try different THC and terpene ratios, but they couldn't publish the human data because of the regulations. Uh, What's that about? Well, well federally illegal. So if you Ooh. have federal funding, uh, you can't really work with the stuff, right? Yeah. And so, you can definitely can't talk about it. Yeah. Unless what? Well, I mean, think about like a review board would never approve you to use a Schedule 1 substance. That'd be just cruel and unusual to make people use Unless marijuana. Unless you have a NIDA grant. If you have, if you have <laughs> yeah. permission from NIDA and you can use the really awful University of Mississippi weed for your research, then you're welcome to publish those results. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't well, really reflect what people are using today. But, but the thing is also is that, you know, this has such a huge ramification then. And so NIDA, we know, was p- specifically set up through the Nixon um, war on drugs to actually study the pathological use of cannabis. So they have no interest in really looking at it from a therapeutic perspective. And that's why we have such a disinformation among clinicians is because they've only been informed by drug studies that have been so focused on pathological use. Oh, does rat- everyone know what NIDA is? So that's it's the-, the National Institute of Drug Abuse, mm-hmm. and it's part of the NIH. And um, I wrote about it, actually, and how it all kind of came to creation. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's it's on uh, on drug abuse, not of drug abuse. <laughs> They're not going around taking oh, drugs at NIDA. Okay. Silly joke. I know. I know. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And it was really kind of set up. In fact, they're the ones who are supporting the uh, uh, gateway theory that many clinicians still hold to today. And it's been debunked because we know essentially that 
people who have pathological issues related to maladaptive coping of anything or psychological problems, they're the ones who typically are actually having the issues with more illicit drugs. It's not marijuana per se. In fact, my, my mentor whose mentor was, um, oh my God, I can't remember her name. Denise Candell, I believe. Uh, who actually coined the term gateway theory? Whoa. She really thought that it was mir- uh, that it was uh, nicotine and tobacco oh, and is. cigarettes I mean, that's that much, were the gateway evidence. But yeah. Nida wouldn't fund it unless yeah. she actually focused on the marijuana piece of it yeah. all. So it, it's fascinating really? that all of our education that has informed clinicians have actually come from a very policy driven anti cannabis perspective mm-hmm. you know yeah i've always and, said that tobacco was the gateway drug yeah yep. yeah and 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 i guess you know from my perspective that's where as a clinician i feel so strongly we have to change that but mm-hmm. people clinicians don't understand that they've been lied to essentially yeah no, <laughs> they've they been no, upon. i think they're starting to realize <laughs> yeah. like i was working with um oregon health and sciences university <laughs> to develop their clinical cannabis uh continuing medical education course and they're starting to realize that maybe they don't have all of the data they're pulling on data and studies from spain and from all over the world just mm-hmm. because there are so few here right. but at the same time you know doctors can have you know think they know a lot oh. and it was so He's funny stubborn. with, well, I have to tell you again, this was such a shift for me because when I was at my mom's surgery, I'm talking to the anesthesiologist mm-hmm. and then I start talking to the surgeon about what my mom's been using and just to look at him, he had very little information, yeah. but then he oh. was like, you know, I'm really interested in learning more about this. So I yeah. think there's this craving for oh knowledge. Oh my God. I, w- I got a concussion sailing last year. I was sailboat racing and got hit by the boom. There's a right. reason that it's called the boom. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I went to the emergency room and every doctor and nurse I talked to was like, oh, my God, you work in cannabis. Can you tell me about this or that right. or this or that? And I was like, I am. Wow. I'm not a doctor, nor am I a scientist. But like, <laughs> yes, I'm glad I'm the one with the concussion. Well, and teaching most you guys. doctors get their clinical yeah. notes from people who have been hit on the head. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that seems. <laughs> yeah, makes total sense. But, but it's amazing uh, because I think that's so problematic. But mm-hmm. it's just exactly what's happening in the medical community is that they're not really getting the latest information because these studies aren't being funded. Right. So, you know, Greer, so Randy. You if yeah. I OD'd on weed and went to the hospital the doctors be like what, what what was that shit you were smoking <laughs> no no they probably put you in a quiet room play some music maybe give you a benadryl and doritos and there you go but that's uh that was some protocols and guidelines that were actually published for tourists who get high on edibles was literally put them in a you know dim the lights yeah. put them in a room have them relax for a few minutes um because you know sometimes it's just the environment uh or the setting uh, but Greer, Randy, do you guys have uh, some comments on where you think the government should be supporting investigations in cannabis? Should they once and for all study the gateway theory and close the book on that? Or are there other things you think they should be facilitating okay. for researchers like, you know, uh, vaping versus where you want to go first? Sure. I think they should look into the medical side of it. And listening and getting words from uh, like Jan's mother, for instance, my mom, um, uh, like my mother swears by those, uh, the, 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 the cream, you mm-hmm. know, and she does, she has her little vaporizer and, and she's happy as a, you know, as a hog in 
heaven, whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be, As uh, a hog and cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, listening, listening more to people and following up on these amazing stories and seeing well, why it's working. Do the research. And yeah. Put the research in. You, you know, know what, you can get people. Uh, huh. What I find interesting, Greer, and is like the whole social reconstruction of cannabis now, because essentially we're reconstruct. Well, we're kind of going back to the way it originally was in the U.S. and that it was, you know, part of the medicinal, the pharmacopoeia, you know, and, and we know that it's par- uh-huh. it's been used for years prior to the 1930s for medications. And so now, you know, we're kind of reconstructing it back to the way it was originally used anyway in the U.S., which is therapeutically and medicinally. Nice. Nice. I I think I would like legislation to lean towards decriminalization and the evening of the scales in terms of the folks that have suffered for years. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a great uh, point, uh, Randy. Expungements, right? That's actually total expungements and then a system that gets you back to even plane. Because it's one thing to expunge or seal my seal my record but if i can't swim and you drop me in the middle of the ocean i'm ass out and when they get out of that prison that's what it's like mm-hmm. so um i don't have to use the word reparation in fact i'll wipe it from my lips right now because it makes so many folks uncomfortable but it is it is it equates to that what needs to happen with the decriminalization and then retraining and having an entry point and opportunity to uh, partake in this in, in this industry should they have talent at that. And that's so unique about what Brooklyn Sprouts is trying to do. This is why I love working with you, because you guys are really committed to trying to help those who've been affected, you know, yeah. and, and getting them back into the job force and teaching skill right. sets. Yeah. I'd really love Congress to take a look at the hemp law because the hemp law actually forbids ex-convicts from growing hemp or acquiring licenses. And it's horrible. And I have not seen enough people write about it or talk about it. And I don't think that the Congress people really understand that the reason that a lot of people went into cannabis in the first place is because they couldn't get jobs because they had a record. Right. So it's just completely ridiculous. So some regulations and programs uh, are including these expungement provisions. Clearly, we're in agreement that they shouldn't have this ex, you know, you can't be an ex-con or have a felony conviction or a drug conviction working cannabis. That's a ridiculous waste of regulation and regulatory effort. And talent. And talent. But how are governments doing and and programs doing with these expungements? I mean, state by state, it's different. I know Oregon just passed... um, legislation to the effect of like expunging the records of all people who have cannabis um, crimes on their record. They have done that before as well. Oregon's pretty like ahead of the pack as far as like expunging records. Um, Oakland, of course, has been doing a really amazing job with like giving people the opportunity to get into the cannabis industry, um, especially if they are from the communities that have been most impacted by the drug war. Um, I haven't heard too much about reparations in the Midwest or the East Coast, though. I'm sorry. Uh, programs. Yeah. Reparations. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, you can't even say it in the East I'm Coast or, or Midwest. So uh, Oakland is yeah, the only is an island, right? Nothing. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Greer, Give Randy. Give them time. 
How do you guys yeah, feel that right. uh, the cannabis programs are doing with with expungements? Do you think they're doing a good job? Do you think they gotta they gotta light a fire and move even quicker? I, I mean, it's it's like like I said before, Doctor J. It's one thing to seal a record, and then what's going to happen afterwards? Um, so records have been sealed for years for different types of criminals and crimes. I'm not exactly sure how the expungement will end up individually case by case study. Um, I think that's the base of what needs to happen. After that, there needs to be in, in entry points um, in, the in, in, you know, in the industry for those who are interested, or there needs to be programs to get these folks back to uh, being a real functioning person in society. That's a great point. Yeah. That is a terrific recommendation for these regulations not only include expungements but maybe some sort of voucher or requirement that the cannabis industry you know offer to train these people to come back into the workforce and be productive members doing good with the cannabis plant um awesome awesome so you know facilitating research we need to see more of that we need to see more actions um, with expungements and improving those programs to include training programs and things like that to improve the workforce and opportunities for everyone. Uh, we have a lot of things we could talk about. There's home cultivation, there's testing standards, um, there's youth education. You know, training, since we talked about that, training is a big thing in the industry and it varies from place to place. Uh, Zoe, what, what's going on with cannabis training in the U.S.? What are your thoughts? Mm, well, it's really case by case as far as like what states expect people to understand when they start working with cannabis. And it's pretty minimal, to be honest. In Oregon, the marijuana workers permit is basically like a training in how to check people's IDs. Um, And it's one of those things where, you know, people go into dispensaries and their doctors send them to dispensaries to ask these medical advice questions to bud tenders who make $10, $12 an hour. And then the bud tenders are there and they're like, oh my God, this person is dying of cancer. What am I supposed to do? Yep. Like, I want to help them, obviously, because like I'm a good person, but I don't have any, any training, any medical training at all. And like, if they haven't read anything about cannabis, there's nothing the states have done to really equip them to handle the kinds of people that come or coming in. I actually see that kind of as like malpractice, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I am using, I am using that term specifically Mm -hmm. because it is, because essentially you have someone who is, you know, and I blame legislators when this one, because, because there's such God, I don't want to. Okay, I didn't use that word. Pricks. Okay, I'll use that word instead. They're such pricks that they're not considering health care. So they have people with maybe a high school education, maybe some college. And I've had this happen with my patients Mm -hmm. where my patients are not being told that not to mix substances. Mm -hmm. So I had a patient of mine who was using a benzo because they were recommended by a bud tender to use a variety (gasps) that just made this highly anxious, traumatic woman 
like get even more anxious. And she did not know that. And so I'm sitting there using my clinical time worried about is my license going to be in trouble by having a conversation that was educational to her about cannabis Mm -hmm. and varieties and how to know what kind of varieties work for you because Mm -hmm. they're not getting that in the dispensaries. And I think it's it's malpractice simply. I really it really is. I'll give you a great example. One of the things that I've had and I've had patients in my practice who came in and thank God I had a card in that state because I couldn't have found out what were the varieties available if I hadn't had that card. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to share any of that. Well, as a clinician, again, I am dealing with people who have so many different types of conditions that I want to make sure they're not taking anything that's going to exacerbate certain conditions. And so it, it, it's scary. Mm-hmm. It, it's damaging to people. They, you know, they're just looking for help. And unfortunately, uh-huh. our legislatures have not done the right thing by patients by requiring that there is medical consultation making these or decisions. some sort of training. So yeah. one of the conversations that I had with um, folks in Oregon is there, uh, Portland has a pretty high concentration of cannabis educators and I don't know too many educators outside of Portland. Um, and so a bunch of us got together and we were talking about what it would be to start a nonprofit um, to develop a curriculum for marijuana workers or yeah. bud tenders we, to um, train well, those brilliant. folks. We actually are doing state. that. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We're actually, we've actually, t- we are doing yeah. this as part of some projects that we're working on. And especially because I think these should be HIPAA organizations because they are dealing with HIPAA issues. They mm-hmm. are. They're dealing yeah. with patient privacy issues. They should be using same HIPAA laws that all medical practitioners have to follow and medical centers have to follow. I do believe that we need to train whoever is making these decisions on how to handle difficult clients because oftentimes someone with high anxiety might come in with certain symptoms that you mistake. Mm-hmm. What if a patient says they're feeling suicidal? Yeah. They don't have protocols in place to address these kinds of issues. So and- the issue with all of that, though, is like, how much are you paying a bud tender right. per hour? Right. And that's, that's like what I mean. The yeah. laws should have been written so mm-hmm. that they thought of this in terms of but, but it doctors, is a medical clinic in a sense. Yes. It is. And doctors can't. So technically Dr. Jan, can I ask you something real quick? Wait, hold on one second. Are- hold on, Randy. Wait, what were you saying? A okay. lot of doctors that I've worked with actually feel like they are legally unable to talk about yep. cannabis with their patients. And so there is this gap. Like yes. they are fed, like it's forbidden. They risk their license if they uh-huh. talk about cannabis, cannabis see, with their patients. And this is where as a licensed clinician myself, mm-hmm. I know that I am taking that risk, mm-hmm. but I also think it's an ethical, it's unethical to do that to my patients. And that always supersedes what a friggin' law says. Mm-hmm. It really does. And, and I feel so passionately about that, that my job is to advocate for people who don't have a voice. And a lot of times we're talking about marginalized people. We're talking about people with severe health issues that don't have political power mm-hmm. that other people do. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I, I think that she, honestly, and I will say this, shame on physicians if they feel like they can't do that and they choose that route instead of what the courageous route and the, the true route should be. I'd also like to shout out to all the bud tenders who really go yes, out of their way to try to do and that. learn yep. everything they can about the yep. plant. I get and that. And doctors are protected through case law through the federal amendment of discussing the pros and cons of cannabis use in general, but can't aid and abet in obtaining it or telling them where to get it. They can be like, this is a great place to get cannabis or look for this seal or logo or this potency or, or things like that. But Randy, did you have a question? 
the what's the difference between the the, the screening process of a bud tender in a in a medical facility or, or or clinic and a recreational person like some of the places that are popping up in New York City. I've been to places that they are operating, I guess, as bud tenders, and they clearly have less knowledge about the product that they're selling than than I do mm, yeah. from a, a cultivator's yeah. point of view. And me just being cool, you know, is not going to embarrass them. Yeah. Um, while I'm standing in front of them and letting them do their, you know, yeah. memorized spiel. And I know they really don't know what the hell they're talking about. You, you nailed so, it because they're kind of at the mercy of the companies that distribute the products. You yeah. know, a lot of dispensary agents or staff or bud tenders are, are brand ambassadors, um, especially on the recreational yeah. side of things. Uh, Maryland, for example, uh, in terms of uh, training actually forbids the dispensary agents from discussing anything other than the rules and regulations for obtaining your medicine, things like the policies of the dispensary and routes of yep. administration and available products. So they can't say like, this will keep you awake and this will put you asleep. They exactly. can't even talk about that stuff. Um, but you know, I, I think that also kind of, it, it, it makes you really think about like what is happening to the patient because mm. typically what's happening is that you see a table and it has a list of conditions and the varieties that are available to treat those conditions and you really know nothing about what it is you know nothing about the cannabinoid content i mean we could go down the rabbit hole with this but I, and i'm <laughs> not going to but i'm just saying that you know that is how medical information is being used now is that they're just seeing what is printed on a piece of paper and, oh, you have pain, here's this, without really thinking of what are medications are you on. And this is where I, I do love states that have PharmDs available that can provide the education and, and discuss drug-drug interactions and stuff like that, much more so than states where they don't have that reference. You mm -hmm. know, I, I think that's so vital when we're talk because we're talking, it's a patient, it's a medical, it's a medical clinic, you know, it is basically a pharmacy if you think about it. We should talk about labels in a second, but I want to hear from the farmer. Uh, we talked about dispensary staff training, but there's lots of positions in the cannabis industry. There's lab techs, there's manufacturing, there's people who do extracts, and there's also cultivators. Now, you mentioned knowing a lot about being a farmer. What would you look for or how would you train people? What sort of training or education, Randy, would people, should they have for cultivating something like medical cannabis? Well, I mean, if I'm talking about the evolution of growers in the state of New York, it's been an underground industry. So it's, it mimics like, um, you know, the hills of Tennessee where you have old cats with old recipes that are tried and tested that make moonshine. So in my experience, um, you know, generally I've met older guys um, or, or people who have traveled around to different states that have experienced cultivators and um, different style of cultivators, whether mm -hmm. it's controlled environment in basements um, or a little bit of outdoor, um, like a lot of some of this, my friends up in Massachusetts or, or Northern Cali have experienced. Um, yep. And, and Greer, yeah. if, 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 you're, uh, if you or your mom are going to a dispensary, what would you hope, what sort of questions would you hope the staff would be able to answer? <laughs> if you, would you have any expectations? 
Like, what would you ask a dispensary agent if you, if you were going in there with your mom shopping for products? <laughs> My mom loves the uh, those uh, the creams. You know, she she uh, rubbing them on her, her ankle in particular because she broke it. It takes away all of that. That um, I would ask them that. What do you have for? Uh, she's seventy. What? How old am I? Fifty. She's easy, easy, easy. <laughs> <laughs> she broke her ankle and uh you know uh she doesn't take pills she doesn't like them she doesn't you know they gave her all of that shit that everybody's fucking getting addicted to so she threw those out because she doesn't you know mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. get addicted to that crap yeah. or she just doesn't like the way it makes her feel but that cream that i got from jen in particular one that i had <laughs> bought at a dispensary before and it's hemp like, based you know CBD based. Yeah, CBD based. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, yeah. I think you, you've hit it on the head. You're going to go in there to the medical dispensary and say, I have this. What could help with these symptoms? Um, I think that exactly. that's, that, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's exactly, and you would hope that the dispensary would have some education <laughs> to be able to say, avoid this exactly. product and, and maybe take more of this or, uh, you know, if you're using calamine lotion, don't use this one or, or some right. sort of right. recommendation. Um, good stuff. Yeah. So we do have a lot of stuff on our list and we're growing, uh, going through time like crazy. It's been a great discussion. But Jan, do you want to spin the wheel and choose the next uh, topic of um, regulatory and policy issues? There's we could talk about labeling issues. You there's, make it sound so exciting. Jim. There's mm. um, deal. I know, right? I'm like <laughs> regulatory and policy <laughs> issues. Yeah, um, I know employment issues. Uh, well, uh, one of my favorites is putting limits on uh, THC products. Mm. You know, they they, they Actually, just those. Well, you know, I I almost chose one thing and. Um, and I didn't because we talked about it last week, which was the youth about not using youth. cannabis. Well, actually, we didn't talk about awareness and education programs for use. And these are notorious. Like the ONDCP between like 1996 and the early 2000s spent a, over a billion dollars on a youth awareness campaign. And the end result uh, after doing focus groups was that it actually in there was a dose response curve. They studied kids and uh, they gave them zero, two, four, six and eight commercials to watch or materials to look at. And the more materials they gave them, the more likely they were to use cannabis. The, the campaign actually had the effect of normalizing cannabis and making it seem like it was more common than it was. And also some of the messaging was so dramatic um, that the, the kids sort of didn't believe it. You know, kids are smart. You can't really lie to them. And once their BS detector mm. goes off, they don't listen to you anymore. But um, right. you know, so I think we have to be careful with that. And we still see this. I mean, there's still like Colorado did a DUI awareness campaign where they made fun of people who use cannabis. And so no one paid attention to that. So, you know, when you're doing awareness campaigns to youth, I think, you have to be careful because if you use dramatic examples that they, you know, if you say, oh, weed causes psychosis and you're going to go crazy. Well, they have friends that use cannabis. They're not going to they don't see that in their environment. So they're not going to believe you. Yeah. And it's going to it's going to drown well, out because it's not true. <laughs> right. So you can't lie to kids because <laughs> then you lose your credibility. Uh, yeah. I, you got to make the kids laugh. There yeah. you go. So you think using education, you know. That Greer, is a great maybe, point, Greer. Maybe you could be our uh, ambassador on kid education. You could do some uh, kid education for us. <laughs> yeah. 
I think that's um, I, I do have a question, and this it's really not on our list though. Um I, I hope it's okay because I'm fascinated by the lack of reciprocity. So obviously I know that in some states, um, you know, we know that it's federally illegal for cannabis, but there are some medical programs. I think only nine states allow reciprocity. So say if you live in New Jersey and work in New York, so it's illegal to take your legally purchased cannabis from New Jersey into the city for work. And we all know that that's just, you know, we are not in we don't have state borders and stuff like that. What? That would, well, you know, that would kind of like be checked to get here. Right. So I'm just curious, like, why is it that some states would allow reciprocity and why will some not allow reciprocity? Because I, I, I just don't understand the issue around so that. There's a couple instances, I think, well, Maryland, for example, you have to, anyone can come there and get a card. Some states have, residency requirements for mm-hmm. it and some don't. So. I was going to talk about that. So there's sort of two questions hiding in your question. Yep. There's reciprocity for medical card holders. Yes, that's um, what I mean. Okay, cool. Card. And there isn't a whole lot of that because of the different um, conditions on each state's list. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the lists were come up, were designed by regulators who didn't really know anything about science, but right. like still states don't. And there's also... It's easier to get cards in some states than it is in other states. And then it's the same conditions aren't recognized in every state. And there isn't like a master book to look them up and figure out which ones are fake. There isn't a registry where people can verify. Okay, I get that. But then what we're dealing with then are people legally having something to treat them. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, this isn't logical. You don't say, okay, you can take your heart medicine in this state, but the next state you can't. You know what I mean? And and so I, I kind of I get back to malpractice because it kind of feels like malpractice. We're telling people they can't have their medicine because of an arbitrary law. And and so I, I'm just curious, like, how do some states get to justify this? Because there are nine states that do allow, you know, reciprocity for their medical program and states that don't, you know. Uh, more and more states are actually allowing uh, reciprocity as well, um, especially ones that are closely linked together. But one of the issues is diversion. Mm-hmm. And also, um, as regulators have pointed out um, that we've talked to, have said um, that they can't protect the patients when they leave their borders. So if they're driving through a state that has no cannabis law, there's nothing they can do to protect them from law enforcement that's like looking to bust them or there are no protections. So that's one thing is they're responsible for their cannabis registrants and, you know, don't trust them when they leave the state or don't trust other, um, you know, programs to to recognize those cards. And, and the law enforcement in those states aren't trained to identify those cards. So that can be an issue. Um, I, you know, having been a patient in California, driving through different counties, you know, we were nervous because some of the police didn't recognize the cards. You had to have your original doctor's note with you um, in order to, you know, not go to jail. So um, I think training and education, number one priority. Yeah. Well, you know what would fix the whole thing? Yes. 
legalization. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> and you wouldn't have to deal with reciprocity right. at all. Right. Well, I'm yeah. kind of waiting for someone to sue a state mm. over that issue mm-hmm. because I actually think that's a brilliant legal question. Well, I mean, question. Because, they, you, because most states who don't allow reciprocity don't forbid people from buying cannabis. It's just they don't have to pay the like medical patients don't have to pay taxes or they get some sort of break in the price. But they can still buy cannabis if it's a rec state as well. No. Yeah. But that's you're talking to the majority of the country. That's not a rec state. So that only happens in those kind of states. But mm-hmm. but for the other people who that really their only lifeline is that mec- medical dispensary or that mm-hmm. medical law that allows them to have their medicine. So that that's just like I, I keep waiting for someone to challenge that because you're really then getting into discrimination. You're getting into medical malpractice issues. You're getting into a lot of convoluted issues that mm-hmm. I think would kind of be interesting to pursue. Be, it would be, oh man. So it's always a question of resources, right? And I right. get into these conversations and it's like, <laughs> well, would I rather spend whatever resources on making sure reciprocity is available or on making sure that cannabis is legal? And yeah. well, like, I think that's the argument. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it, it's fascinating. You have to. I, I think that you have to look at arguing in certain stages to get to the common ground, mm-hmm. and that is a definite argument. Mm-hmm. I think would stand up that you can't. You really are discriminating in a sense, and you really are kind of impacting mm-hmm. a population. Because I mean, think of the woman who went. We were talking about her. She was in Disney World. And got oh, arrested yeah. for Disney World. You know what I mean? Like, but people she who... wasn't a patient, though. I mean, that was I... a CBD, right? That was a CBD product. Yeah. 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 But if she had been a patient, they would have, would they have recognized it? Would they have yeah, known would what they to do? Well, and if Probably she was in it, <laughs> and we've heard of other celebrities who have cards and went, and I know myself, I have used my card and gone to other states and take my medicine with me. So I, I think. You know, I think that that would be a great challenge to get to that point of, well, you really just can't have all these arbitrary laws. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Because I'm with you. Mm -hmm. That whole, uh, the big goal is legalization, but you got to get there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I wonder how when states, you know, not that long ago, when my mom was a kid, I think the legal drinking age in Wisconsin was 18 18. and she was from Chicago. Yeah. And so... They would go. Yeah, they would go up to Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and sort of like, all right, look at that as a case study and see like what happened. I mean, obviously, Wisconsin raised their drinking age, but like, <laughs> I remembered yeah. those times actually, and it was yeah. related to funding of highways uh. and that you had to agree to <laughs> an order. I remember that because it became twenty one yeah. in the state where I lived, like right before I became eighteen. You know, and I remember that and. And that was how they got states to agree with it. They were losing wow. federal highway funding. But but I think, you know, it's an interesting kind of issue because it can, I, I just can't imagine the logic of telling someone who is taking one medication that they can't take it across state lines without fear of getting arrested. Yeah. And then I think <laughs> that's uh, I mean? probably I an artifact from when the first states came on. Right. There was nowhere right. else to go. Right. And there's right. 20 dispensaries in the whole it country. It just sounds like mm-hmm. if we ever have any lawyers out there, uh, it just sounds like a great legal argument. I watched the Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh my God, I was just thinking about thing, that. Yeah. And, she attra- and yeah. that's what she did. Yeah. She went and made this huge change, but using a loophole mm-hmm. to kind of get to that point. And I couldn't help but to think like, well, that's a brilliant kind of mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. to get there. Anyway, sorry. 
No. Uh, so we are running a little short on time. Uh, Greer, did you? What do you think is a pressing policy issue other than you know expungements and research? Uh, what What would you say would be a great thing to change? Reciprocity, home cultivation, um, better labeling of products. Uh, what would you like to see our, our elected officials do with cannabis uh, next year, and be as specific as possible? <laughs> um they need to let us grow it ourselves for starters yep they need to uh they need to get out of the way we need to vote these people out of power because they, their, their thought process is too far behind to, to where we at as I, a people and as a country i like that um, an action item for everyone we, good good like they, 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 these guys they're finished beat it like uh but no we need to be able to to, to grow it ourselves we need to do some serious research on it, especially in the medical industry, I believe it. I believe that, because I just saw something recently that talked about how uh, the CBD in itself, like being used as an um, antibiotic or something. And, and it's just a lot of stuff that's in it. And I think they should just like let the floodgates open and throw money in it. You have money for fucking wars. You just spent <laughs> lost about $130 million on a drone, so yep. throw $130 million in it. Yep, uh, I, I like I like the plan. One drone to do a ton of research. God, could <laughs> you imagine what Come we on. could do? And and Randy, uh, what would you like to see uh, with cannabis policy moving forward? Greer mentioned, you know, home cultivation, being able to cultivate the plant uh, for personal use. Uh, is there something you'd like to see go away? You know, limits on THC. Um, you know, workplace drug testing. Uh, you know, more education, research. Right. What what would you like to see with the next legislative session and these elected officials? What should they do for cannabis to make things better? Well, I guess, you know, there's a gray area where when does education begin and what does that look like from a horticultural standpoint? So you're able to teach in schools. Um, at what grade does that start? That's um, fantastic. How is that integrated into curriculum? Um, in higher education, what do those programs look like that are, you know, going to coincide with these jobs that are being created in the industry? So you bring up a great point. Yeah. Yeah, No, you bring up a great point because uh, a lot of schools don't teach education. I was actually had pitched an education program to a university on the East coast and it made it all the way through the review process until at the very end, and this was to train people for the cannabis workforce for every sector. It was like, um, you know, like 60 hours of educational content down to PowerPoints, booklets, everything. And they, the president of the university said no, even though the newspapers were already reporting on the program starting, it started for a week and then they canceled it because the president realized of the university that cannabis was still illegal federally. And so the university couldn't teach people to work in a federally illegal uh, industry. Come uh, to the West Coast. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's much yeah. better See, there. Like, that's the point right there. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, and we also see that even with healthcare, with physicians who work for universities oh who are being told that they can't um, sign off on patient applications for medical cannabis programs or they can't recommend it to their um, patients because they're being told by their bosses, the universities, that we will lose federal funding if we do this. It's just awesome. crazy. Awesome. Yeah, crazy. 
Well, guys, do we want to take a short break yeah. and come back with Cannabusting before we wrap up the show? All right, Cannabusters, go charge your truth and fiction brains. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to New Hemp Times. We are going to go into cannabusting. Woo! When you hear strange things about marijuana, who are you going to call? Cannabusters. Cannabusters. <laughs> Banana, All right, oh welcome God, to Cannabusters, where we test your knowledge of cannabis science, news, and politics. I will share maybe some headline stories and other cannafacts, and I want you guys to tell me if they are a finding or if they need to be cannabusted. So tell me why you think it's real or if it's something I made up watching, uh, you know, f- uh, Flashdance or r- reruns of The Office last night. So away we go. All right. Um, so uh, an Alaskan senator tired of her questions about the legal limit for personal cultivation decided to provide an example for people to follow growing on his front lawn the legal limit of the amount of plants for adult use. <laughs> Unfortunately, his plan backfired when four of them were deemed mature by law enforcement. You're only allowed to have three mature plants and three immature plants and now has to pay a fine for breaking the law. Is this story true or just too ridiculous to believe that an Alaskan senator tried to demonstrate what was the allowable limit for personal cultivation and didn't do it right? Who's the senator? Are we allowed to ask that? Uh, It's an Alaskan senator. (laughs) False. Why do you, so other than oh, not Zoe, providing a senator with our head all the time, other than uh, not providing the senator's name, um, why would you think it's false? Uh, well, growing weed in a public place that's not surrounded by walls, like in your backyard, in most places is illegal. And so I doubt that the senator, I don't know what the laws are in Alaska, but I doubt a senator would break one law to prove another. Nice. I say yes. You say yes. Yes. Greer, what do you think? Do you think this Alaska senator was trying to demonstrate the cultivation limit, or am I cultivating more myths? He's a senator, like Jan said, and they're stupid. So I'm going to say, yeah, he tried it. True story. All right. Uh, Randy, what are your thoughts on growing uh, the adult use plant limit in Alaska? Yeah, I also agree he tried it. And um, in that short, cold-ass winter climate he failed and blew it i think it's true oh yeah oh my oh my well this story happens to be completely made up but it but it is based on a true story uh in the early days of cannabis the mendocino county sheriff um grew the legal number of plants um in his front lawn for a short time to demonstrate what the legal limit was, but that was in an unincorporated area um, and caused quite a fiasco. But uh, so it was based on a slightly true mythological study about cannabis and Humboldt. But no, uh, someday maybe we will see. What was the uh, legal that. limit? Ninety nine. 
Um, I think it was uh, they were looking at canopy size and 99 plants or something like that. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't think they were mature is the is the <laughs> oh. All right. Our next one uh, is is it true that Newsweek recently reported that cannabidiol killed all strains of bacteria tested in a lab? some of which were highly resistant to existing antibiotics, such as MRSA, MRSA, or, you know, and things like that. Um, is this a true story? Who I wants- say yes. yes. Greer, Randy? <laughs> yes. I yeah, agree also. Yeah, true story. So the research is true. It was wow. used on substances in mice and found that it was effective for treating skin infections at the Center for Superbug Solutions in Australia. Oh my god. Wait, really? is that a real name of a center? Yeah, that is a real name of a center. center I should have done Superbugs. I should have done the center as whether or not it exists. See well it says CSBS. All right. Moving on to our next story. Or I guess maybe this is more of a headline. Uh, is this headline a true headline or not? Pilot program allows doctors to prescribe marijuana over opioids in an effort to combat crisis. Is this a true headline? Pilot, pilot program allows doctors to prescribe marijuana over opioids in effort to combat the crisis. Uh, no. Let's say Illinois. <laughs> I'm going to say false, Jayhan. Why yeah. are you going to say false? Well, you know, the lack of conviction about what state it's in. Also, uh, but I, I have don't... lack of conviction all the time. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm still going to say false. No. It's just a gut feeling. All right, Greer, what do you think? I hear you laughing over there. <laughs> um, I think it might be true, but uh, maybe not in Illinois. all right pilot program allows doctors to prescribe marijuana over opioids in effort to combat crisis randy what do you think of this headline it is true all right and jan it is not true it is not true yeah because i don't think you use the term prescribe cannabis so i doctors can't prescribe all right cannabis well <laughs> it's good you're using those words tricker yeah. <laughs> it's trickery he is he's a trickster the monster become poultry <laughs> <laughs> well this headline i am uh relieved to say was published by abc15 at abc15.com published the headline pilot programs allows doctors to prescribe marijuana opioids in effort to combat crisis so the the blurb about it is is that illinois is testing out a program that lets doctors give patients access to medical marijuana instead of an opioid prescription um so around 1500 patients have taken part in the state's pilot program where doctors give them access to medical cannabis as an alternative to opioids prescribe is probably used inappropriately okay, in the headline then. but it is a real, real headline, headline that appears yeah that is wow. so cool oh my god i can't wait to see uh, that data i know yeah. uh, data. i want to learn more about it because i want to see how we can actually see right. if we can get it elsewhere yeah mm-hmm. we'll see what the what the impact is of, yeah. of that program it'd be quite interesting all right moving on to our next one this is a can of fact I'm going to test your knowledge of cannabis investment and economics. 
As of June 25th, 2019, is it true that none of the cannabis operators in Canada have turned a profit? Yes, yes. <laughs> Greer, what do you think? Are, are the Canadian <laughs> cannabis companies, have any of them made money yet? One no. more time, Rita. So is it true that none of the cannabis <laughs> operators in Canada have turned a profit? Oh, no, it's yeah. not true. It's not true. You yeah. think they're making no. money hand over fist? They're they're breaking. I'm not saying that. You say you're saying yeah. none of them. Yeah. I'm sure there is a company that's. You that's would certainly in, hope so if you own stock in them, right? Uh, yeah. Well, no. according to Barons.com. Aurora Cannabis may soon be the first cannabis company in Canada to yeah. make a profit. None of the companies have oh. posted, uh, have been making uh, enough money to cover their costs that, right now. But that makes sense. They're in expansion, their growth, you know, they're having to keep up with demand. So they're still building infrastructure. So they're you know, buying businesses in the U.S. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Those damn Canadians. All right. So my uh, my next one is a story for you guys uh, before we uh, wrap it up. Um, is this story true or not? Oregon has too much cannabis and lawmakers are hoping to tackle the problem with two new bills. One is aimed at, you know, curbing the amount people are producing. And the other is seeking to establish new markets to funnel the weed into, including potentially exports. So is this true? That Oregon is too much cannabis, and they are looking at reducing the number of cultivators and possibly funneling the cannabis into other markets. Zoe? Do I get to answer this one? Because I actually know the whole story. Oh, if you know the whole story and everything I'm saying is true. You I'm can... going with her. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. Yeah, and it not true. only um, are they talking about pursuing policy to export cannabis, but it's actually passed through the Oregon Congress and been approved. Nice. So does everyone agree with her? Cause she could be, uh, oh, my... right. I might be pulling your Are leg. You kidding? Yeah. I'm going to agree with her. She says, I'm going with Zoe. <laughs> Thanks guys. <laughs> this story is true. First covered in the LA times, the Oregon legislature Zoe. is tackling their issue. I love that it was supply. covered in LA first. Yeah. Good job, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, she we could... passed the test. Now she's a part of the show. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, so uh, we're going to, we'll do one more because uh, I, I want to see if I can stump Zoe. Um, so uh, is this true or not? Is this a finding or is it fiction? Marijuana ties are hurting people who are filing for bankruptcy court. Uh, is this true that uh, people are getting thrown out of bankruptcy court if they have ties to cannabis companies? Yeah, absolutely. Cannabis companies can't um, declare bankruptcy because they're federally illegal and the IRS prohibits it. Mm hmm. I like that loophole. You like that loophole? <laughs> it's really kind of sad because that's why a lot of dispensaries, they they have very thin margins because they can't cl claim their products as tax write-offs. They can't mm -hmm. claim a lot of things. So their profit margins are not what they will be. Well, it's also in Oregon, of part of the problem is that because you can't declare bankruptcy, everyone is trying to sell anything they have, even if it's at a significant loss, just to try and re recoup some of the costs. Oh, wow. And so it's 
a huge issue that you can't declare bankruptcy. Wow. Oregon's under a lot of pressure right now. Okay. Well, hopefully, oh, maybe the, I uh... don't like that. No, please did. I just heard, I just heard, be thrown out of court. I was like, yeah, yeah I like it. You don't want to be in that system. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. This, so this is true. Uh, so that the 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 little known part of the Justice Department is enforcing this and has recently thrown out people who were declaring bankruptcy that had ties to cannabis companies. Wasn't their only thing they had going on, but it was enough to mm. throw them out of court. All right, I'm going to do I'm going to do one more. One more. And I was a research finding and I'm going to go to Greer and Randy first. Is it true that researchers have recently uh, published results that show that CBD can cure hypochondria? What do you guys hmm. think? A hypochondriac is somebody that's always claiming they have various diseases. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, always like feel a tonga. Right. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Am I am I giving you hypochondria by just mentioning yeah, this? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. bit. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's false. All right. Greer, what do you think? Can C B D cure hypochondria? Is that what researchers are saying these days? Nah, a person with hypochondria would probably do some CBD shit and then freak out. Oh, yep. in- interesting point. Zoe, what do you think? No. No, mm-hmm. there's no hypochondria CBD research out I mean, there? Um, I mean, it is a miracle drug, so yes, obviously. <laughs> but no. And Jan, I see you laughing over there. Well, I don't know how would you define hy- hypochondria. Because or hypochondriac, because I if it's more of a somatofo- a somatoform disorder where you're soma- somaticizing issues, I can mm. see where CBD could actually be beneficial for that. So that's where I'm kind of laughing because I don't know hypochondria or is it someone because really we don't even use that term clinically. Mm. So I'm going to say yes, only because I have a feeling that it might be a headline somewhere that they mm. bastardized so much of foam disorder yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and say hypochondria. So the story, much like my medical ailments, they are made up <laughs> data and wow. results. So, yes, good job, uh, Greer and Randy and Zoe. And Jan finally you missed suck. one today. <laughs> Jan, you suck. Excellent, excellent. Good job, guys, on the mind munchies. Uh, Actually, I think it's a brilliant question to see if it would affect somatoform. Ah, God, I can never say that word. Somatoform disorders. So that would be really fascinating. Another great idea. Yeah. Uh, first copyright and trademarked here on New Hemp Times, CBD <laughs> for hypochondria. <laughs> All right. So now it's time to move into our closing with the Mind Munchies, a.k.a. Food for Thought. And winner, winner, who gets to go first? Randy, you're in a beautiful place among beautiful plants. Why don't you share your Mind Munchie with us if you're ready? I'm actually standing like a foot in front of some eye poison ivy, which which is beautiful. (laughs) Honestly, I swear. I swear. Um, which is beautiful in its own right and deserves to be celebrated. So all plants are included. Even people with bad acne are beautiful in their own way. So everybody's a God blessing. That's all plants deserve to be celebrated. That's awesome. Yes, indeed. All right. 
Greer, would you like to share a mind munchie with our listeners? Yeah, don't ever dry um, poison ivy and smoke it. <laughs> okay. Do your lungs itch afterwards? Uh, I don't know, but just don't do it. Okay. <laughs> All right. All plants need to be celebrated and don't smoke the poison ivy. Gotcha. Jan, what would you Let's like? Let's celebrate the lily. The lily. <laughs> I think for me, the mind munchie is hearkening to Canna Inclusion, our word of the day last podcast, because um, cannabis has this way of bringing people from all backgrounds together for something positive. And I experienced that this week because... I come from a family that we have very different political ideas and, and it's been an issue for us. And so actually it felt very healing to be able to experience cannabis with them in a way, because it, it, it just, it was really kind of cool to kind of process some deep shit this weekend. So anyway, did it change inclusion? their political views at oh, all? Fuck no. Nice. Or fuck did it nice. relate to that? expand their mind it might i mean once you start realizing that sometimes you've been fed a line of bullshit it starts to make you question Mm -hmm. a lot of things and i think Mm -hmm. that was kind of some of the awakening this weekend so Mm -hmm. we'll see and zoe what would be your mind munchie for this episode um i mean i've been thinking a lot recently about cannabis and queer history uh it's been 50 years since stonewall this year which is pretty amazing and i it made me start thinking about how one of the first uses for THC was for um, people suffering from HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I sort of want to dig into that and think about that a little bit more. Yeah. We talked about it last week on our podcast and, and how important, especially for this month being Mm -hmm. pride month, um, how it's important for us to celebrate that heroes, you know, we need to include all heroes. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. just white men. And, mm-hmm. and the LGBT community had a huge part in okay. creating the first cannabis yeah. laws, programs that allowed yeah. access and distribution of cannabis. So thank you. Keep up the good work. Sounds good. <laughs> thank you all for being a part of the show. We'll uh, be back uh, next week with a mini-sode. I'd like to thank Greer and Randy for phoning it in today. Thank you guys so much, as well as Zoe Sigmund for participating in our podcast and busting Cannabusters to a new level. Thanks you, for having me. You today. read Thank a lot, you. don't you? <laughs> Just a little, you Just know. Just a little. Yeah, I put it under my we pillow. We should start keeping tabs on uh, like how many we got wrong and how many All right. we got I'll right. T- I'll start keeping score the next time we do yeah, it. I don't need that pressure, dude. I don't need it. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Have a great one.